This is a Soulfire production. everybody we're back at it again and we're gonna have a long show today i have a feeling this one's gonna run a little long so we got all kinds of things to cover all kinds of things to break down but first off i want to thank christina and sydney for joining the politically homeless patreon community you are angels just sweet baby angels and i appreciate it if you want crowdsource content from the patreon community for the patreon community you need to go to the show notes of this show Click that link that says patreon.com slash politically homeless and join up in the operative or the deep state. If you want some sweet treats from me delivered in the mail to you, join that deep state. When that new merch drops, you're going to get some goodies. Okay, so here's a couple things I want to cover real quick. First off, if you love this show, make sure to review it on Apple Podcasts, yada, yada, yada. You know all the things. Share it with friends. Put on social media. Help this show grow. I really appreciate it, and I love you, and all that kind of fun stuff. The border crisis. Not going to talk about it much today. We're not going to talk about it much today, or maybe probably not much at all. And I know it's something that people want to talk about, and it's like sucking all the air out of the room via uh, mainstream outlets. But here's my thought, and I want to discover this before we get into the actual state of things. Um... I don't think that things have changed all that much from the Trump era to now and from the Obama era to the Trump era. Okay, I may have bought into the like kids in cages hype for a little while when Trump was president, but what I've seen is the complete flip of people who seems to give a shit about people at the border. And I just don't want to I don't want to play that game. I don't want to take that bait. I don't want to do that. Okay, I don't feel like it's the best way to serve you guys. I don't feel like it's the best for my mental health or just the best use of my time. Literally, we'll get way more out of my uh, time spent playing with my dogs uh, over researching some hyperpartisan hack job article over what's going on at the border. And I actually suggest that you do the same thing. When we talk about the Biden presser a little bit later down the road, we're going to go over that briefly during this episode. Um, he talks about how he doesn't really, he's not going to apologize for leaving people on the Mexico side of the border in the mud by the, by the Rio Grande. And, you know, if we're the richest country in the nation, we can at least make sure these people are fed um, who have traveled from places like Honduras and Guatemala to try and get into this country. I agree with that. Um, if you don't, that's fine. That's cool. Think what you want to think. I don't know what it's like to put all of my belongings in a backpack and try to travel to a country where I don't speak the language and I've never been before to try and make a better life for me and my family. And, uh, that's not a reality of I, I've had to live through. Um, and I don't appreciate the way that the information is being used, leveraged or manipulated to, uh, push people into further divisive or divided camps of ideology. So that's where I'm at with that. Uh, conservatives all of a sudden seem to care and seem to give a shit, which is odd to me. Uh, Ted Cruz seems to care now. Sean Hannity seems to care now, but they didn't two years ago and that's fine. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, AOC doesn't seem to care and whatever. So what are we going to do here? Like, it's like, well, they'll take a picture. I saw a picture uh, side by side. It was like during the Trump administration, during the Biden administration, people, the way people were treated. And one was a bunch of kids like watching TV in a, in a detainment center. And one was a bunch of kids sleeping on the floor. And I was like, or that was just like 2 PM and 2 AM. Like, we don't know. Like, what does that have to do with any, there's like the same number of kids. There was also tinfoil blankets. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand what, like there's so much manipulation here that I'm just not, I'm not doing it. I, I'm not taking the bait. 
and I'm not going into it. Another thing that I'm not going to be taking the bait on at this moment is the Trump social media platform. Um, Trump is an attention whore. We all know this, and he will do anything to get into the news cycle. He's probably going through uh, withdrawals from not being in the news cycle for a while. The rumor rumor is that he's looking at an app called Free Space that already exists but didn't really catch on and would, would take that and turn it into like conservative Twitter, I guess. Again, cool, maybe, I don't know. The dude is incapable of like formulating a plan and articulating it. So I just don't have the energy to give a fuck about it. Um, but it's cool. I mean, it's fun to talk about and it, it can make a great segment, but there's just much more important things to do. And after last week with the, with the shootings, taking the entire show, um, we've got a lot of things to cover that are absolutely sub, absolutely substantive and not, um, just a bunch of like attention grabbing bullshit. Uh, so, that being said, I wanted to I wanted to kind of touch on those just to show you where I'm at, and I understand if you want to learn more about the border crisis and things like that. But um, and I would recommend looking at things like uh, Rising from the Hill is probably going to be the best place to get some kind of information from that. Maybe Glenn Greenwald on Substack um, or Matt Taibbi. But at the end of the day, like those are people that you can you can trust to be honest with you. As you, you I mean, you can trust me to be honest with you. I'm being honest with you right now and telling you that I just don't have the energy to give when we have things like vaccine passports and um, some more lockdown data, some lab leak information for COVID. Um, Oakland is doing a guaranteed income. And of course, uh, Satan shoes. So <laughs> we've got some fun stuff to dive into today. Uh, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, I might get a little bit heated. Um, but you know, that's par for the course. So with that being said, let's get into the state of things. Man, it's going to be a good one today. I got a good I got a good feeling about it. I got a good feeling about it. Get ready. All right, well, we're just going to start off with a quick touch. We're just going to touch on something real quick. Real quick right now, we're going to talk about the Biden press conference. I'm a little late to the game here, but it's okay. It's okay because there's not that much to be said. Now, Ben Shapiro dedicated a whole show to like debunking, yada, 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 in the same way that the Young Turks would do the, anytime Trump had a press conference, they would do the same thing, and yada, 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 bullshit, 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 bullshit. Um, the presser seemed fine. The, you know, of course, there was a few gaps in there, and he seemed like he lost his train of thought. I think sometimes he just catches himself kind of meandering like an old man that he is and uh, writes the ship. Um, he actually landed a couple of jokes that I thought were kind of funny, like saying that he had been uh, in, in government for 120 years. It, it kind of sounded like he meant it, but I actually think it was kind of a Biden joke, which I wasn't, I wasn't mad at. I thought that was kind of funny. And, you know, I feel like he represented his idea as well. I will say this, and, and this is going to be a very short segment. I'm sorry to disappoint if I am. But um, I will say that it's nice to have a president that says something besides we're winning and we're going to be the greatest and it's the greatest bird of security and the wall. Like, it, it was not, like, I want to hear what he has to say. Like, what are you going to do? Are you gonna, if this doesn't pass, are you going to put it through reconciliation? What are your thoughts on the filibuster? You know, things like that that are actually 
that actually fucking matter? Like, at least he has, whether you agree with the plans or not, at least he articulates them well. And that's the reason Trump's not the fucking president right now is because he articulates his idea like a fucking dipshit. And he just doesn't, he doesn't say anything. But if you want to believe it and if you want to fill in the gaps that he left open uh, with your ideals of what he would be doing, then yeah, that's great for those people. But for people like me that actually want to understand, and I'm assuming like you as well, um, understand what the fuck is going on and what the plan is and uh, how we're going to go about doing those things that we are trying to do. Um, I appreciate something like that. Now, Biden isn't great at that. He's he's not, you know, he's not the best, but at least he's, he's, he's trying. And, you know, he handled some pretty tough questions from conservatives and it was, it seemed fine to me. And I don't under, like, where's the hype coming from? It's like, it's like Steven Crowder and Ben Shapiro are just like chomping at the bit for him to do anything but they don't even give it a chance. It's like, let me just, their, their whole idea going into it is let me tell you how fucked up this is. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't get it. It, it. It's weird to me that this stuff just keeps getting churned through like the blender of bullshit. And we have to then tolerate someone taking a, a, a 10 second clip of an old man, not being able to you know finish a sentence and, and changing course with his, with his language and make that the entire presser when actually there was real information in there. Um, and I really did appreciate what he said about not apologizing for, uh, not leaving, uh, immigrants, um, on the Mexican side of the border. And I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of this, the whole thing is, is such a shit show. Um, and we're dealing with a lot of fucked up stuff right now. You know, what do you expect? Like you're going to be able to critique anything anyone does. So, you know, I, I'm actually in the camp of it, a feeling like it's nice to have someone attempt to lay out a plan versus just using a bunch of hyperbole and, and, and nonsense. Um, but here we are, you know, and maybe you could, if you're a Trump supporter, maybe you disagree with me and that's fine too. But I can say that he just seems like an old man and I don't, I don't hate it. And I don't hate the job that he's done so far. There's a few things that are absolutely egregious and we're going to get into some of those, but at the end of the day, like he, he's a kind of a bipartisan conservative Democrat. Like that's where it's at. And people are saying that he's more progressive, but I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Um, and I'm not seeing anything that he's positioned or uh, anything really long-term um, that he's put out there that is really egregious. Uh, I think the private sector is doing a lot of fucked up shit that we're going to have to put in check and we're going to have to speak up about, like the vaccine passports that we're going to talk about later on in the show. But, um, yeah, I'm just not seeing – I'm not seeing the the merit for discussing the presser at, at length – when there just didn't, I mean, watching the whole thing just didn't seem like there was much there. You know, there was some interesting stories about a woman who sent her nine-year-old from Honduras through Mexico on foot because they thought that Biden wasn't going to be deporting unaccompanied minors. You know, I don't know what it's like to live that life. Um, but it's interesting. And he does get more softball questions than than, than Trump did, and I'll admit that as well. But it, it just it was unremarkable to me, and I don't want to spend any more time than what I've spent on it. Right now, talking about it because it just didn't seem worthy of that much of my time or your time. Uh, and that's my personal take. But, yeah, he may disagree. I don't know. That's where I'm at. Okay, now, stuff that fucking matters. We got a lot of new information about lockdown data. Okay, so I went through a few articles. There were a couple in Newsweek and 
and came down to this one, which is kind of the basis for um, a lot of the information that has been coming out lately. So this is uh, death and lockdowns, and it says there's no proof that lockdowns save lives, but plenty of evidence that they end them. And what we're seeing is that places that had stricter lockdowns um, actually had more excess mortality. So now that the numbers have been kind of tallied, um, we're seeing this, this trend in deaths of specifically young people, people under 45, uh, in ways that are kind of astonishing, to be honest. So let's just read through this. We may end up spending a lot of time on this article, um, and then we'll get into what's going on as far as lockdowns in the in the country uh, going forward. So it says, now that the 2020 figures have been properly uh, tallied, there's no convincing evidence that strict lockdowns reduced the death toll from COVID-19. But one effect is clear. More deaths of other causes, especially among young and middle-aged minorities and the less affluent. The best gauge of the pandemic's impact is what statisticians call excess mortality, which compares the overall number of deaths with a total in previous years. This measure rose among older Americans because of COVID-19, but it rose at an even sharper rate among people aged 15 to 54, and most of those excess deaths were not attributed to the virus. Some of those deaths could have been undetected COVID-19 cases, and some could be unrelated to the pandemic or lockdowns, but preliminary reports point to some obvious lockdown-related factors. There was a sharp decline in visits to emergency rooms, an increase in fatal heart attacks due to failure to receive prompt treatment. Many uh, many fewer people were screened for cancer. Social isolation contributed to excess, excess deaths from dementia and Alzheimer's. Researchers predicted that the social and economic upheaval would lead to tens of thousands of deaths of despair from drug overdoses, alcoholism, and suicide. The unemployment surge and mental health and substance abuse treatment programs were interrupted. The report levels of anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts increased dramatically, as did alcohol sales and fatal drug overdoses. The number of people killed... Last year, in motor vehicle accidents in the United States rose to the highest level in more than a decade, even though Americans did significantly less driving than they did in 2019. It was the steepest annual increase in the fatality per mile traveled in nearly a century, apparently due to more substance abuse and more high-speed driving on empty roads. The number of excess deaths not involving COVID-19 has been especially high in U.S. countries with more low-income households and minority residents who are disproportionately affected by lockdowns. Nearly 40% of workers in low-income households lost their jobs during the spring, and that has tripled the rate of high-income households. Minority-owned businesses suffered more, too. During the spring, it was estimated that 22% of all small businesses closed, 32% of Hispanic owners, and 41% of black owners shut down. Martin Kuldroff, a professor at Harvard Medical School, summarized the impact. Lockdowns have protected the laptop class of, lo of young, low-risk journalists, scientists, uh, teachers, politicians, and lawyers while throwing children and the working class people uh, and older people under the bus. That's exactly right. Now, who are the people that are pro-lockdown? I'm going to take a break here from reading this, but we got more to go. The people that are pro-lockdown and pro-regulation on this whole thing are fucking keyboard warriors, right? They worked their marketing job for Google from home, very little impact, they didn't lose their pay, and they want to keep everyone safe. But at the end of the day, we have the situation where minority impact, minority communities are impacted, uh, poorer communities are impacted, children are impacted, and the deaths of despair have skyrocketed during 2020, directly correlated with the intensity of lockdowns. What does that tell you? 
All right, let's move on here. The deadly impact of lockdowns will grow in future years due to the, due to the lasting economic and educational consequences. The United States will experience more than 1 million excess deaths during the next two decades as a result of massive unemployment shock, according to a team of researchers from John Hopkins and Duke who analyzed the effects of the recession on mortality. Other researchers... Noting how educational levels affect income and life expectancy, have projected that the learning loss from school closures will ultimately cost this generation of students more than a more years of life than have been lost to all the victims of coronavirus. After the pandemic began in March, the number of excess, excess deaths in the United States rose from all American adults. During the summer, as the pandemic eased, the rate of excess mortality declined among older Americans but remained unusually high among young Americans. When statisticians at the Center for Disease Control totaled the excess deaths for age groups through the end of September, they reported that the sharpest change, an increase of 26.5%, occurred among Americans 25 to 44. That is absolutely insane. That trend persisted through fall, and most of the excess deaths among younger people were not linked to the coronavirus, as researchers from the University of Illinois found by analyzing excess deaths from March through the end of November. Among Americans aged 15 to 44, there were roughly 56,000 excess deaths, of which about 22,000 involved COVID-19, leaving 34,000 from other causes. The Canadian government also reported especially high mortality among Canadians under 45. Nearly 1,700 excess deaths from May through November, with only 50 of those being attributed to COVID-19. We don't know exactly why, but a lot of adults were dying last year who would not have ordinarily died, and it wasn't just because of COVID, says Sheldon H. Jacob, one of Illinois' researchers. It's possible that some of the COVID-19 deaths were undercounted, but there were many deaths due to other causes. Shutdowns certainly caused mental health issues and a lot of preventative medical treatments were delayed. Yeah, of course. The lockdown may have saved some lives, but there's still no good evidence. When the 50 states were ranked according to the stringency of their lockdown restrictions, you can see one obvious pattern. The more restricted the state, the higher the unemployment rate. There's no pattern in the rate of COVID-19 mortality. International comparisons yield similar results. One shows that countries with more stringent lockdowns tend to have slightly higher levels of COVID-19 mortality. Another suggests that European countries with stricter lockdowns have performed worse economically while also suffering higher rates of excess mortality. So is this really about saving lives? Is this really about health? Is this really about the future of our nation? And when we go down, and this this is a really long article, so we're not going to read any more of it, but they talk about Sweden and how they handled it with very minimal lockdowns, and they still rank in the top one-third of European countries. So what you're seeing here is, is evidence that there is very little e- efficacy for these lockdown measures. And we've had enough time and room to breathe. Now, if you were so pro-lockdown that you're siloed yourself into, into an ideology and you don't want to change your fucking mind, because of that, well, that's on you. But the data seems to be pretty clear. And now everybody who said Texas is going to see spikes in COVID and increased deaths, and it's going to be pandemonium, it's going to be anarchy. Well, let's just check this shit out. Texas COVID cases dropped to record low nearly three weeks after mask mandate is lifted. I wonder if any fucking Democratic-led states will, will, will look at this evidence and say, huh, maybe we should rethink our fucking situation here. I seriously doubt it. So we go, coronavirus cases have dropped to a record low in Texas is roughly three weeks after the state lifted its mask mandate mandate and reopened businesses. 
Greg Abbott tweeted today, the seven-day COVID positivity rate dropped to a new record low of 4.95. Hospitalizations dropped to a six-month low. And this week, we have one million first vaccines available. Everyone now qualifies for a shot. They are highly recommended to prevent COVID, but always voluntary. Wow. What a great way to articulate yourself, Greg. Um, and then I had somebody with the audacity, right, to, to reach out to me when I share this story on my Instagram and say, well, it's because it's because uh, 50% of Texas doesn't believe in COVID, so they're not getting tested. Are they dead? Are they in the fucking hospital? Because if you go to the hospital, you get tested. If you die, you get tested. That's undeniable. It's not really necessarily an option at that point. So that point, that, 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 uh, Argument is so fucking retarded, it makes absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. And I'm not going to fucking hear that from somebody. The cases, the deaths have dropped, okay? And to say that half of Texas doesn't believe that coronavirus is real is some straw man bullshit, okay? And we're seeing this happen all the time. And these minority-owned businesses are getting hammered. These low-income areas are getting hammered. Kids with shitty households are getting fucking abused and neglected because they don't have the environment for healthy attachment style. If you know anything about early childhood development, you know that attachment styles are fundamentally important in development as an adult. Okay? And that doesn't have to be parents. If your parents are shit, that can be a teacher, a coach, a mentor, a friend. But we're doing shit on Zoom? How much do you pay attention to shit on Zoom when you do it for work? Is it a little bit different? I would think so. Right, So we look at all of this information and all of this data, and we still just seem to ignore. We still just seem to ignore the fact that it's right there in our fucking face that we need to make adjustments. But so many people in leadership, leadership positions, are so afraid to admit that they were fucking wrong about a thing. They were wrong about the lockdown measures. We've seen it time and time again. Again, Florida has the oldest large population in this country, and they have been one of the most open states, and their deaths per 100,000 are on par with California, which has had incredibly strict lockdown measures. Texas is experiencing all-time lows without a mask mandate. If you need the vaccine, and this is the thing too with this whole situation, so a third of the population is vaccinated, at least with one shot, okay, at this point, that's great. Okay, so many other people have had it, so they're 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 experiencing a level of immunity. We've reached what has been laid out as herd immunity by Fauci. Okay, by that guy who loves to scare people, the boogeyman. Right, we've reached that, but nothing changes. And then we have the CDC director on the on a call crying, just stay up for a little bit longer. We just need a little bit. We're seeing spikes in other places. Shut the fuck up with this. Can we just be done with this shit already? Like, have you not seen that this has caused unintended consequences that far outweigh what the virus has done? Over and over and over again, you see it. When, when someone relapses into addiction because of lockdown measures and social isolation, that's not an easy thing to fix. When that happens at scale, that's not an easy thing to fix. And now we look at this here, and we have slightly more than 6 in 10 U.S. adults report undesired weight gain since the start of the pandemic. The average weight gain for U.S. adults is 29 pounds. Uh, men, 37 pounds. Women, 22 pounds. Gen Z, 28 pounds. Millennials, 41 motherfucking pounds. Whoa. Holy shit. Really? 
And what's the what's the number two correlate for complications with COVID again? Oh, that's right, obesity. Obesity is. So the long-term consequences of these fucking ridiculous lockdown measures are going to far outweigh what would have happened if we just went laissez-faire as shit and just didn't shut anything down. Give me a break. I mean, look down. Uh, baby boomers, 16-pound gain. Uh, older adults were in there. White adults, 30 pounds. Hispanic, 28 pounds. Black, uh, 35 pounds. Asians, 12 pounds. Parents, 36 pounds. And essential workers, 38 pounds. This is not about health, everyone. If you, if you haven't picked up on that yet, this is not about health. Okay? Because if it was about health, we would have had a conversation early in COVID that said, hey, we're working on these vaccines, but what you need to do is get your shit together. You need to eat clean. Okay, if you're not exercising, if you're not moving a lot, you need to severely limit carbohydrates. You need to stay on top of your shit. Stay hydrated. Drink some green juice. You know, you should call in someone like Rob Wolf who has experience with this kind of stuff and have him addressing the nation. Not some interventionist doctor who only thinks about things in terms of uh, pharmaceutical drugs. There are plenty of people in the world. If you, if you need an MD, there's plenty of those as well. That could come speak to the nation and say, hey, here's the, if you are not able to leave your house, if you're at high risk, here are some things you can do with quality food if you have access to it that can really help you out. Here are some ways you can move around. Here are some breathing practices that will help you keep your lungs strong. If you're nervous about this, these are things you need to do, right? But no, that's pseudoscience, right? Being able to breathe with, uh, with strong contraction force is pseudoscience. That doesn't have anything to do with anything at all. As if your fitness level is in a direct correlate to dying from fucking COVID. And we're in this situation where <laughs> 41 pounds for millennials. 41 pounds. I mean, I lost a little bit of fitness over this time, and I'm, I'm paying the price for it now. But Jesus Christ. But don't fear, though. Don't fear because our profit-driven capitalist model in this country has brought us something beautiful that's going to make everything better. Motherfucking Pepsi blended with peeps for Easter. That's what we get. Now, we don't get advice on how to, how to live a healthier lifestyle at all. At all through a fucking global pandemic. You got to go search that shit out. A lot of it's getting censored on Instagram. But we'll give you Pepsi and Peeps. Yeah, you fat fucks. Drink it up. Soak it in. Let's do it. All right. We're going to blend a sugary uh, marshmallow with a fucking sugary drink. And just inject high fructose corn syrup in my fucking jugular, dude. What are we doing? It's like they want everybody to die slowly and painfully. It's like, you know what? Get the vaccine. doesn't matter if you get diabetes and get your fucking foot cut off, but at least you're healthy, right? Because you got the fucking vaccine. Give me a goddamn break. This is what we've come to. This is where we're at. I miss the days. I really miss the days where Republicans were science deniers. I really do. It was so much simpler when I could just make fun of Republicans for being science deniers. But now I live in fucking 1984. Like, I expect for somebody to, to bust into my house and arrest me for thought crimes. The Pepsi's making peeps. Peep soda. That wasn't enough. You couldn't, you couldn't just eat the peep and drink the Pepsi to, 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 to give yourself diabetes. Now we get to blend them together because capitalism. Because of market forces. <laughs> oh, and on top of that, you can take your vaccine card to Krispy Kreme. You fat fuck. 
Really? Really? And then people are tweeting, well, the vaccine is actually more important than uh, nutrition and exercise. Go fuck yourself. If you say that, if you fucking tweet that, retweet that, share that, think that, say that, fuck you. You were so fucking objectively wrong. Objectively wrong. I'm so sick and fucking tired. And the thing is, I do this because I don't want to. I want to. I want to have conversations that end in less people suffering. This isn't about some political ideology. I don't give a shit about Democrats and Republicans. I do what I do. I light this fucking microphone up and I talk on this show because I want to have conversations that lead to less people suffering. That is my value system. And the 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 complete ineptitude of the United States federal government to adopt that very simple fucking value is disgusting to me. And our, and our superiority and narcissism and not looking at Sweden and other countries and how they've successfully maintained a healthy economy, not had complete mental health fallout and battled the coronavirus with fucking personal responsibility to not look at that and think that it's valid and try and do our best to discredit it because politics because the orange man is bad or the old guy said something funny. Jesus Christ. We should be better than this, but the fact of the matter is that we're not. We're not. This is exactly what we deserve. And until we start speaking the fuck up and using our goddamn heads, we're going to keep getting this. We can't get someone with, with rational, pragmatic health and wellness advice to speak to the nation during a global pandemic that affects those that are unhealthy the most. And I don't mean people with type 1 diabetes. Okay, I'm not, If you have an, an illness or a pre-existing condition that is not your fault, that is a different conversation than someone who ate themselves into being in high risk. And we can't have a national discussion about the obesity epidemic. But our idea of health and wellness is a fucking vaccine. And we subsidize the industries as a nation that produce corn syrup that goes right into Peeps and fucking Pepsi. And keep it cheap. Keep it cheap so those low-income people can stay hydrated on syrup water. So fucking broken. So broken. And people have the audacity to say that this is about fucking health. Give me a break. Give me a break. The fact that you have to seek out actual wellness and health advice and it gets censored. And I'm not talking crazy conspiracy theory shit. I'm like talking about intermittent fasting or going for a goddamn walk or the importance of vitamin D. What is it like 80% of people who died from COVID were vitamin D deficient? Is that not science? Is that not science? But now I who actually gave a shit about my health before this whole thing. Now I'm a villain because I don't want to get a vaccine. Really. I'm, I'm the bad guy. Because I gave a shit. This is fucked up, y'all. This is fucked up. And I don't know what we're going to do about it because we're so siloed into our bullshit fucking categories of thought and, and, and the, prof, the, the corporate divisiveness machine is just printing money at us being pissed off at each other. But I'm heated about it. And I will not fucking, I will not shut the fuck up about it. That's the thing. 
Because at the end of the day, my goal is to create conversations that lead to less people suffering. (sighs) Fucking crazy. Let's move on. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creator of the Element Beverage Mix, the best thing you will ever put in water and then put in your body. Guaranteed 100%. Listen, if you like to sweat, if you like to fast, if you like to work out, if you like to sauna, if you are into cardio, paleo, carnivore, butt stuff, anything, literally anything that requires physical activity. If your response to COVID was getting in shape instead of getting vaccinated, then you need to try out Element. It is literally the jam I've been drinking it this morning. I superset my coffee with my Element and so do so many other people like professional athletes and military and, you know, just healthy people in general. Like the, the crew that you're going to be in by drinking Element is, is really what it's about because that's where all the, uh, that's where all the cool kids are. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, you remember when you go in the lunch in the lunchroom and you were a pudgy little junior high kid and there were all those kids that were like the cool kids sitting at their own lunch table and you were like, you could technically sit there, but like it would have been awkward and weird. Like this is an invitation to that table. That table where everybody is hydrated as fuck. Okay, now here's the deal. You can go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T. It's spelled really trendy like that. Drinkelement.com slash wanders and get an eight-pack variety pack. So a variety of eight different very popular flavors, and all you have to do is cover shipping. That's $5. It's no big deal, okay? You can try it out that way. But listen, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do I look like a bitch? Then why you treat me like a bitch? Anyways, if you trust me, go ahead and grab yourself a pack of that lemon habanero. It is the best. You can mix it with a little bit of water and tequila on the weekends when you're trying to get turned up. Or you can just drink it and stay hydrated. It's a very flexible beverage. And it's delicious, y'all. There's a little bit of salt in there. There's electrolytes. It's going to do the stuff that you need. And you're going to get the most out of your water, okay? Because water is great. You can drink the shit out of water. It's awesome. I like to go swimming. Water's good. Okay, but if you want to turn that water up to 11, get yourself that element. Drink element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash wanders. Link is in the show notes of this stow. Stow? Show? Man, I wish element could make me talk good. Anyways, drinkelement.com slash wanders. Stay moist, baby. All right, big news this week. Man, sorry, I was heated. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea and the actually very likely possibility that the COVID um, pandemic was started and originated from a lab leak has actually become mainstream. And this is something that people have been talking about for a long time. Brett Weinstein, who's a, an evolutionary biologist, has talked about this. And the way that the virus acted um, actually mimicked something that would have been developed inside because of the way the virus has evolved. And it transmits, it seems to transmit very well inside and very poorly outside. So that would have meant that it was uh, developed in more of an... Uh, um, an insulated environment like a lab or just indoors in some way where if it was a natural like bat driven virus, it may have developed a different way and evolved a different way and, and impacted people in a different way. So 
that was always a, a likely possibility, and it kind of got discredited, and you're seeing that happen now. But Robert Redfield, who was the is the former director of the CDC from 2018 to 2021, was actually on CNN and uh, brought this up. I want to give a shout-out to Rising from the Hill for cutting this thing down to a, a, a clip we can use. I don't want to pretend that was me because that's out of integrity. But here we go. Here is Robert Redfield saying what he thinks about the lab leak hypothesis. If I was to guess this virus started transmitting somewhere in September, October in Wuhan. September, October. That's my own view. It's an only opinion. I'm allowed to have opinions now. You know, I am of the point of view that I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was a, from a laboratory, um, you know, escaped. Uh, the other people don't believe that. That's fine. Science will eventually figure it out. It's not unusual for respiratory pathogens that are being worked on in a laboratory to infect the laboratory worker. These are two significant things to say, Dr. Redfield. And that's not implying any intentionality, you know. It's my opinion. Right, but I am a virologist. I have spent my life in virology. I do not believe this somehow came from a bat to a human. And at that moment in time, the virus that came to the human became one of the most infectious viruses that we know in humanity for human to human transmission. So when we look at that, a quick little clip there, and this has been put put around a lot. And that's one of the things that we say, we have, you say, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> That's something that people say uh, is that as a virus becomes more contagious, it actually becomes more deadly. And that's generally the way that viruses uh, evolve because as transmission becomes more rapid, uh, it kills the host less often, which is very interesting. And there's a lot to look at here. But I was actually watching Kim Iverson last night, who I've actually grown to uh, really appreciate her perspective as a progressive who actually questions everything, which is rare to find these days. But she was talking about the idea that the lockdown measures and the ways that this is this pandemic has been handled actually make more sense if people in power the people that are making these decisions knew that it came from a lab because if it came from a lab the possibilities of the way that it could uh, mutate the impact it could have is actually much more variable than a known virus right because a coronavirus is not a new thing coronaviruses have been around for a long time it's a very transmissible respiratory um, disease right so or infection so generally speaking and from what i understand thinking about the fact that viruses tend to uh, become less deadly over time um, and then thinking about the way that this whole thing has been handled and the data and things like that, and it's not adding up, right? The rant that I just went on about lockdowns and different things, it doesn't really add up. But if you think about it from the perspective of, hey, this thing probably came from a lab and we don't really know um, what could have happened or, or, or what they, how they manipulated the virus or what the long-term effects could be, then the priorities shift, right? Because there's a lot of questions. Now, they're not honest about that, which is not a surprise if that is the case, but it is something worth thinking about of like, well, what would you need to know, believe, think, experience to make the decisions that the federal government's making right now when it comes to the restrictions that are in place, right? And, and if it came from a lab, maybe that explains it. Right, And I'm being very generous here with, with uh, believing that the federal government acts in a rational way, but these people aren't stupid. So this whole lab leak hypothesis actually makes quite a bit of sense. And the way that it was developed and the way it transmits, like these are really interesting questions. But it, just like so many things that are happening in our world right now, they're off-limits discussions. 
right? To say that, and, and this is why I fucking hated QAnon from the very beginning. Like, it was entertaining for a hot second, but I'm like, oh my God. Now, anything that you say that they said makes you a QAnoner now. And I'm very much not a QAnon supporter, and I think they're ridiculous. That said, you know, or if Trump said it, right? Trump may have said it came from a lab, and now, oh my God, the orange man said it, so it can't be true. Like, come the fuck on, everybody. Like, we're better than that as people. I would hope so, anyways. So, looking at this lab leak, it seems, and I think Brett Weinstein said it was like an 80% chance in his own estimation that it was a lab leak, and I'm sure that's gone up now. But when you have the former CDC director talking about it being a lab leak as well, we have to take that seriously. Now, this virus apparently moved around to different labs across the globe, and there was other, you know, the Chinese are saying it was actually an American leak, which... Could also be true, right? We can't don't need to count any of this stuff out. Um, we can also consider that the the World Health Organization is is kind of a puppet for China, and they have a lot of say so in what happens and what is said by the WHO. So we've got to keep all of this in mind. But I think this is I'm I'm really actually kind of proud of CNN's coverage of things lately. They've done a really good job with a few different things. I mean, the military industrial complex that kind of dismantled them the other day, which I thought was very out of character, but maybe they're realizing that um, since their ratings are suffering, they're going to need to do something to get ratings, and maybe being honest would be a good place to start. I don't know. That seems like a novel concept to me, but we have to take this lab leak situation seriously, and if you're if you're consuming media that's saying the lab leak is propaganda and the who said this, like, don't, don't buy that. Like, find independent people. Find independent people who know what the fuck they're talking about, and I'm not talking about conspiracy theorists on Twitter. I'm not talking about Alex Jones. Um, and, and uh, all those people are fun and entertaining and they get things right. Sometimes look into what Brett Weinstein an actual scientist has to say, look at these different people, look at how the vaccine or how the, um, how the virus transmits, look at, uh, what makes sense. And again, running things, actions through that filter of what would somebody need to know, believe, experience, think to justify this action is actually a really productive way to view things and at least kind of a thought experiment to put you in the frame of mind of trying to figure out what it would take for that decision to be rational and assuming that the decision is rational by the person who is doing it if they're, you know, seem to be a rational actor. It's an interesting way to look at it, but I think that that could be really helpful. And this is a really tricky time. And it does, it just, it kind of does make a little bit of sense. Like with all the stuff that's gone on and things that just aren't adding up, like it, it does a lot to give us a little bit more context and we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll ever actually know the truth, but I hope we find out. Vaccine passports. All right, let's just get into this. We're going to go straight into it. We got a lot to talk about here. Uh, apparently, New York is already rolling these things out with the Excelsior program, uh, which I think is like a Harry Potter term or something. But we have this little breakdown from CNN talking about the inevitability of uh passport or vaccine passport. So let's see what the narrative is here, what the questions that they bring up are, and kind of what the logic is behind this before we completely lose our fucking minds. But post-pandemic, it's something we'll all likely have to get more and more comfortable with. We could be asked to show proof we've had the shots in order to get on an airplane, go to a concert, or go back to work. Joining me now is medical ethicist Arthur Kaplan, a professor at NYU. Um, Fantastic. So explain why you think, basically, that this is the future and we should be comfortable with it. Well, I'm sure that the uh, future holds vaccine passports for us 
partly to protect against the spread of COVID and it rebounding. There are many countries, as you were discussing earlier, that have low rates of COVID, Australia, India, Nigeria, some countries improving fast, Great Britain, the US, other countries lagging and trying to do lockdowns. As vaccines become available, the best way to control the spread, the best way to control new outbreaks and perhaps even new variants is to demand proof of vaccination before entry. And you know, it's not a new idea. We have it for yellow fever. There are about more than a dozen countries that say you... Okay, uh, the yellow fever vaccine argument. Yeah, okay. Uh, first off, that vaccine is FDA approved. So let's just put that out there. Um, second, that's quite a different scenario from us not wanting to bring a virus from a different country back where it's uh, uncommon to our population. That's a, that's a, that is a very, very different situation and an unfair comparison. You can't come in uh, if you uh, haven't been vaccinated against yellow fever, and many others require you to show proof of vaccination if you transit through those countries. Um, what about the concerns that many people have about privacy, about the privacy <clears throat> of their health data? That is this, you know, is there a slippery slope here? Okay, I'm okay. I'm, I'm comfortable telling you whether or not I have COVID, but do I, does that mean that it becomes okay to ask about other things? Well, there is always a danger of a slope, but I think here what's different is Traditionally, we want to protect health information because if someone finds out you have an illness or a disease, they may discriminate against you. They may penalize you. They may say you can't get a job, you can't get insurance, you can't get disability insurance, you can't get life insurance. With a COVID certification, you're going to gain freedom, you're going to gain mobility, and I'm going to uh, suggest that you're probably going to be able to get certain jobs if you want to work on a cruise. Okay. Just keep in mind, this motherfucker just said with a COVID vaccination passport, you're going to gain freedom. Uh, motherfucker, I never gave it up. So I'm not gaining shit. I can't imagine that they're not going to be advertising that everybody who's on the staff and the crew is vaccinated, so come on back. So the difference, if you will, is... It, it often is the case that health information, when released, threatens to harm you. In this case, being vaccinated threatens to benefit you. It goes in the other direction. And if you absolutely believe, if you absolutely believe that that is the case, then it makes total sense. But if you have questions or doubts or feel it's unnecessary, then that makes absolutely no sense in the, in the world. And this position this man is taking is so arrogant and pompous that it resonates with zero people who are skeptical of this whole situation. And zero people that, like just like me, who think, hey, there's, there's, there is a reason for people to take the vaccine. I don't feel like I qualify based on my standards. Therefore, I don't want the fucking vaccine. It is the, the risks. Like, what are you doing? What do you think? What do you think is happening right now? Why do you think there's so much hesitation among people that are my age? Because it doesn't seem necessary, and it doesn't seem worth the risk to take something that's that's authorized for uh, emergency use and not FDA approved. If we're going to use that as a standard, which I don't really appreciate either, and there's plenty of good reason to doubt institutions and to doubt corporations that have a financial motive in compliance. So for him to take that entitled, arrogant position is just so fucked up. What about the effect um, on inequality? And I want you to talk about, about it in two ways. First, there is going to be an inevitable inequality in that 
There are even within countries where things are going well, like the United States, there are going to be people who don't have the vaccine. Sometimes that will tend to be people who come from maybe poorer communities or perhaps places where there's historically been reluctance uh, to get vaccinated. And secondly, of course, the rich countries are hogging the vaccines. And so uh, maybe, you know, maybe appropriately because they've paid for them. But the point is you are going to exacerbate the divide between the rich and poor around the world. Um, so, you know, first within even the United States and then uh, the rich versus the, the West versus the rest, if you will. Well, remember, vaccine passports or even vaccine requirements do depend on access. It's hard to impose anything unless you are pretty sure that somebody can get a vaccine. So I think it'll be a little while before we see this, let's say, within the U.S. But there are going to be communities and areas of the country where it starts to make sense due to high availability of vaccine to say, you want to come back to work in person, got to show me a vaccine certificate. You want to go in a bar, a restaurant, got to show me a vaccine certificate. I think there will be some inequality. Dude, just he hearing those words spoken fucking hurts me inside. Like just hearing, if you want to go back to work in person, you got to get a vaccine. If you want to go to a restaurant or a bar or a movie theater, you got to get a vaccine. Are you fucking serious? Where do we live? What, how has this become normalized? I'm, I'm almost speechless. I'm almost speechless. Like the only two words that come to my, to my, the forefront of my mind when I hear this motherfucker saying this shit is fuck you. And I know I say that a lot on this show, but Jesus Christ quality in the U.S., but hopefully it will wash out quickly as the supplies increase very rapidly, and I think they're going to. It also gives you an incentive to overcome vaccine hesitancy. Some people are not sure still whether they want to do the vaccine. Yeah, the carrot or the stick. That's the more mobility, more ability to get a job, more ability to get travel, that's a very powerful incentive to actually achieve. That's called fucking manipulation. That's what that's called. That's not a powerful incentive. Yeah, leveraging people's livelihoods based on your agenda is very powerful. I don't know. Ask the fucking Nazis about that. Pretty effective. Or vaccination. Internationally, those problems are there. There's no denying it. There are going to be countries that are way behind in terms of having access to anything. But I'm going to predict that the world won't wait for vaccine passports until everybody is on board. I still think you're going to see some in place, despite the fact that this will isolate some countries and perhaps even cause them economic damage. Yeah, because fuck them, right? It's just the uh, better off and the lucky, in a certain sense, not wanting to wait for everybody to come on board. So let me ask you about the ethics of uh, a test applied by uh, an employer who says, in order to meet, get this job, you have to be vaccinated. Are there legal ethical issues in terms of the fact that you will be favoring one person or one group of people over another? Well, there could be, and I think we'll see that happen. That's more mandating a vaccine for the right to work, if you will. Uh, some jobs mandating a vaccine for a right to work mandating a vaccine for a right to do anything is fucked up really guys real this is this is the common narrative this is the common narrative mandating a vaccine to blank fill in the blank with anything aside from 
I don't know, work in a nursing home. And we got problems. Let's do that now. The militaries around the world will quickly be saying as soon as the vaccines are licensed, which they're not yet, they're still out on emergency approval. But yeah, once no the licensure occurs, I think you'll see everybody required in the military to have to vaccinate to be in the military. But in the private sector, some jobs have high contact. Uh, you're dealing with a sales force that goes out and sees a lot of people. You have a lot of people coming into the office for one reason or another, depending on the line of work. There, I think you can say, for safety and the integrity of the business and being able to work the business, we've got to assure our clients that everybody is vaccinated. So as long as you don't discriminate and say, we're only going to vaccinate older people or, but we don't require this of younger people or, you know, we don't require people who uh, live in rural areas to prove it, but we do urban discrimination is what the employer will have to watch out for. They can't do that. But if they put on blanket protections and say it's to protect us and to keep the business going because otherwise our customers won't trust us, I think they'll be able to do it. What a fucking Professor Kaplan, joke. pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. So we're looking at this as an actual reality, which I didn't, I didn't think we'd get this far, and maybe I'm naive. Um the idea there at the end, when he was talking about not just vaccinating older people or whatever as the blanket protection. Um, that's really a mess. That's that's a problem because there are many people who don't necessarily need this vaccine. There are many people that do. Being required to do something like this is very very problematic, especially when it comes down to your right to work. Okay. And there are some, I, I can see some places and some careers where it's just going to be part of the deal, right? Maybe nursing. But at the end of the day, a lot of nurses are denying the vaccine as well. So you're seeing this, and, and there's this level of personal freedom here. And listen, I'm not a libertarian by any means. I'm kind of a libertarian socialist, so I have some, some leanings both ways. But there is an individual liberty piece here that is being trampled on. Trampled on. We need to be able to make our own decisions about this, okay? And now I'm somebody who says that, and this is what's weird about, like, the liberals, for example, like, you know, decriminalize all drugs, okay? Well, that means I'm okay with somebody shooting heroin, but I'm not okay with somebody not getting a vaccine. Like, those things that those things conflict with each other. So if you're, like, pro-drug decriminalization or legalization, and you're not pro-vaccine choice, well, then you're conflicting yourself. So from there, we have Ron DeSantos acting like somebody who actually wants to be president. So we have him taking a vow to uh, take executive action against vaccine passports in the state of Florida, which is what we're going to need to see is states standing up for this. I'm sure Texas is next and then Georgia probably as well. I don't see Jared Polis in Colorado. Uh, <laughs> guy's such a fucking pussy. He wouldn't be able to do any of this, but uh, we are see not uh, supporting doing any vaccine passports in the state of Florida. With these vaccine passports is uh, it's completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector to impose upon you uh, the requirement that you show proof of vaccine to just simply be able to participate in normal society. You want to go to a movie theater? Should you have to show that? No. You want to go to a game? Do you, no. You want to go to a theme park? No. So we're not supportive of that. Um, I think it's something that people have certain freedoms and individual liberties to make decisions for themselves. And finally, David.
Sorry. Uh, so there we go. So that's Ron DeSantis saying his piece about this whole thing. Now, did I think I'd see the day where I am in full agreement with Ron DeSantis of Florida? Did I think I'd see the day where conservatives were the rational thinkers when it came to data and science? My head is turned fucking backwards right now because of the way that this is all shaken out. Like a very pragmatic thing saying you can't ask somebody for a vaccine passport to get into a fucking baseball game. Like if you want to go see Marvel Phase 4 in theater as well, vaccine. Like you can't, you just can't do that. That's not appropriate. And especially not in this country. Some places can probably pull that off. China, Japan could probably pull that off. Right? Russia maybe could pull that off if they felt it was necessary, but I doubt they would do it. And that doesn't mean they're evil. But they could probably pull it off because of their authoritarian, authoritarian bent. And that's fine. But that's not this place. And states are going to have to stand up. People are going to have to stand up. There is a hesitancy to speak up. I know so many liberals that hate this stuff. Hate it. But the cost of speaking up is too large. Right? Whether you're influential and you can get canceled. Or just in your private life and it just being a pain in the ass. But if you question this and you, and you believe there's other ways to approach this situation, we've got we've to speak up. Really. And this is going to be so many things manipulated. You saw it with, with the war in the Middle East. It's lasted for 20 years now. Manipulated information from the right. And the left, eventually. We can be manipulated into believing shit that is not true by our media. Okay, Operation Mockingbird from the CIA didn't exist for nothing. And we're seeing it happen now, but it's now affecting each one of us personally. And even if you did get the vaccine and you are pro-vaccine, ask yourself, do you feel like this is appropriate? I'm not an anti-vaxxer, okay? If I go to South America, I will get the vaccines. I will get the approved vaccines, the old vaccines. I'm going to vaccinate my children um, on a schedule, okay? These are things that I think about. But when the risks of negative impact from a, from a virus, for me personally, are not great, I don't feel the need to take the vaccine. And the fact that I can be limited from, from, from participating in society because of my individual choice to not do a thing is absurd. And that, 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 that doesn't mean, and the libertarian, this is why I'm so glad I'm not a libertarian, like a pure libertarian. Cause then I say, well, they're private businesses and American airlines and AMC and whatever theme park, they can do whatever they want. And libertarians get caught up in here. I don't believe that. I believe the government needs to step in and say, no, absolutely not. Now DeSantis is going to do that. I'm sure Abbott in Texas is going to do that. We're going to see that. Um, but this is one of those deals where states need to really speak up because this is going to be a slippery slope and you are going to see outrage, outrage and violence. It's going to get ugly. And this isn't about race. It may be the, the benefit from this would it be that, that the, the focus is actually in the area of where the tyranny is, right? Which is upward, not at one another. But upward. But since vaccines are such a partisan issue, it's likely going to be more partisan bickering over the situation. So they're doing it in New York and they keep doing it in New York. New York sucks anyways. That's fine. I think it's fucked. 
I think it's dangerous, so dangerous. And the implications and the unintended consequences are huge. And the only way that this will not be implemented, it seems now, is public outrage on a large scale from both sides, from the vaccinated and those who will not get the vaccine, coming together and saying this is too much. All right, Oakland will give some families of color $500 a month, one of the biggest tests yet for guaranteed income. I want to state where I stand on things like UBI and guaranteed income. Uh, I think there would be a great option to do away with most uh, welfare programs and replace them with a UBI that have more flexibility. Do away with food stamps. People can spend the money where they want to spend it um, and take out a lot of that bureaucracy and make it much more efficient. It will actually save us money in the long term. That's where I feel like we can um, really improve as far as social welfare, welfare programs. Now that's my take, but if we look down here, we'll give some families of colors. This is really interesting to me. Like a growing number of cities, Oakland, California has embraced the idea of giving monthly checks to some of its low income residents, an early test for the idea of guaranteed income. Federal lawmakers too have focused on pandemic era adaptions to that concept in the form of stimulus checks that promote to promote a drag out debates in Congress following the sudden loss of millions of jobs nationwide. But while these efforts are generally op open to anyone under certain income thresholds, the majority minority city of East Bay has designed a pilot focus on one key factor that is civic leaders say is an in inex inextricably tied up with poverty race. So what they're doing here is they're only allowing um, families of color uh, with at least one child to apply for this program. And I think it's 600 families um, will be participated. And this is done with actually um, 6.5 or $6.75 billion in donations. So this isn't actually government money that's being spent doing this, which I think is great. I think it's a great way to test the concept here. Now, they talk about how the white community in Oakland versus the uh, black community in Oakland is doing so much better. Um, and I understand that. And there is that gap. And that's really challenging and hard to overcome. That said, I don't believe that limiting this program, keeping poor white people out of this program is appropriate by any stretch of the imagination. And here's why. I understand focusing on, 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 on communities of color and they've been hammered, but I don't think that poor white people and poor black people have that much of a different reality to be completely fucking honest with you, depending on where you're at, depending on where you live. And maybe for this pilot program, uh, that's a good place to start and it, and it narrows the field of people that are able to apply. And maybe there's some justifications for that, but the optics of this are incredibly dangerous. And we also have to keep in mind that if we think this is a good idea, it's going to have to be sold to conservatives and conserv conservatives are going to have to get on board and it's going to have to be sold sold economically. And if you put paint the fucking whole thing as a race issue, you are guaranteeing that it goes nowhere. Okay. So we have to think about the long game here. It's only 600 families. It's not the whole, if it was the whole city and they excluded poor white people, we'd have a bigger problem than this, but this is a test kind of pilot program that lasts for six months to see what happens and gather data. So that being said, uh, it is focused on a certain community and maybe that is okay. I'm not as upset about this as people like over at the Daily Wire, how they're really, really up in arms about this. I'm not, but I really want to be cautious about the way that we look at this and how it's going to be positioned and how it can be turned on its head by people that are in opposition to this in bad faith. Okay, and if you make it about race from the jump, then you're going to have a harder time selling it to people that have been very outspoken 
and disagreeing with a lot of our racial narratives that we have floating around the country today. So we have to keep that in mind. And a lot of the people on the left are like, well, uh, I, I can't imagine anybody, any reasonable person being a conservative. You're a fucking idiot. If that's what you think, you're an idiot. Okay, there's a lot of conservatives that are very reasonable people that just live a different reality than you. Right to them, uh, pragmatism is is complete adoption of their ideology, and that is that is absurd, right? But we have to keep in mind the way if you want to make substantive change, you've got to keep in mind who needs to be on board for that change. So if the if the income disparity is so great that the vast majority, like ninety percent of people that are in poverty in Oakland, which is probably true because it's a majority minority community, if they're already ninety percent of the poor community, then why even take white people out of it? Because of that 600, um, of that 600 families, what 60 of them maybe could have been white. Like it would have been a majority, um, minority program, regardless of whether or not you barred people from entry. So this making it a minority owned thing is a virtue signal. It It makes very little substantive difference, but it's a virtue signal to say, Hey, look how great we are. Look how great we are. Look how look how equitable we are. Look how intersectional we are. Right? Intersectionality runs the show. But really it made it made absolutely no difference and and kind of deadlegged your movement here. Because what we're seeing with these UBI style programs is that they're actually doing really well and the data is overwhelming. So you're hobbling your own argument by making it a race issue when really it's an equality, a real equality issue or an inequality issue or an income distribution issue or an opportunity issue. Um, There's a lot there. And people being able to use uh, this money however they need versus having food stamps or anything like that is actually gives people a lot more freedom and takes out a lot of stress. It's a lot less stress in that environment. And of course, people are going to use it to buy drugs and whatever. Like, that's fine. Who cares? Really, at the end of the day. Like, but for everybody who does that, there's 10 people who are going to use it to fix a washer or dryer, right? Or get their car fixed. They can get to work, right? Things like that. Uh, Get their kids school supplies. Like that's where this money's going to go. So we have to keep in mind as somebody who is very pro UBI and replacing welfare programs with a UBI um, that is means tested. I I do appreciate the means testing there for, and and make it very generous, right? For something under like under $75,000, things like that. And then we can have varying uh, tax exemptions as as well to really help out uh, the working class of this country. That's where I feel like our focus should be. But to make this a race issue from the jump is to really hobble your own yourself. And we've got to keep that in mind. We've got to play the long game here. If you really want this done, you've got to play the long game. And by making it, making it be different if making it about race actually benefited anybody, right? And there's a few families in that, if, if it's that big of a gap, if there's a few families in that that may have been white families instead of black people, but or black families, but that being said, it wouldn't have made that big of a difference and you wouldn't have all this negative press. So you've got to think of when you're trying to sell an idea, you've got to keep in mind the optics. And if you're alienating people who are not completely in alignment with your ideology or your philosophy on race relations in this country, you need those people on your side too, because this needs to be sold as an economic solution as well as a way, a more equitable solution for all people who've experienced oppression within the country. So to exclude white people from this is a huge mistake, and I'm not even making it about race. I'm making it about the fucking program and how badly I think the program is needed in this country. So we've got to keep that stuff in mind. So if you're looking at this and you're like, this is bullshit, this is whatever, like I understand, or this is the best thing ever, keep in mind that we have to play the long game.
Lil Nas X, the creator of Old Town Road, that song that your kids love to sing, was grinding on Satan's dick on a music video, and then he made some shoes that he's calling Satan shoes. Now, they're Nikes, but they were created by a company who uh, remakes Nikes and makes things go viral. So they took, they bought 666 pair of these shoes, uh, used some human blood in them somehow, put on a pentagram, uh, put like 666 on there, did a whole thing, made these Satan shoes to go along with his new uh, song that just dropped called Montanero and, or Call Me By My Name. And it's a really interesting music video. Actually, I'm going to be real with you here, uh, the track slaps like it's a good song. I'm not mad at saying that, and I don't feel bad saying that. The music video is something I would not let any children watch ever. But that being said, let's be grown-ups about this. And the funny thing is, with this whole situation, is that conservatives seem to lack the understanding that they're being trolled constantly. Like, they are just, it's so easy. It is so good for business to troll conservatives like just so good for business to troll conservatives. You can get conservatives upset about something, you're going to make money. I actually need to find a way to get conservatives upset about this show so that way I can just explode overnight. That's all it takes. That's all it takes cuz these shoes, um these Nike Air Max uh, 97s were um they were priced at $1,018, but they're getting sold for much more than that. Now, Governor Kristi Noem of South Dakota said this. Our kids are being told that this kind of product is not only okay, but it's exclusive. But do we know what's more exclusive? Their God-given eternal soul. (laughs) We are in a fight for the soul of our nation. We need to fight hard, and we need to fight smart. We have to win. Lady. Lady. I understand that's what you believe. But a lot of people don't believe that. And a lot of people think this is kind of funny because they don't really believe in Satan either. Okay, and I'm one of those people. And it's like, well, it's because of what Satan represents. It's like, okay. Like, you got trolled. You got used. And this guy is now stacking paper. If you just would have shut your fucking mouth and let it fly over the radio, you know, just let it go. Just let it go. And people are like, boycott Nike. And Nike's like, y'all, we didn't have anything to do with this. We had nothing to do with this. They bought the shoes. They customized them. They painted the box. It's actually a really, like, the box, if you look at these, uh, look at the box they're in. Like, it's, this is a really impressive uh, launch here. So these are the kicks. And you get the pentagram there, Luke 1018, which I don't know what that says. Um, I think it has the product number on there. So that's this one is 6 out of 666, but it has the your shoe number there. Um, this is the inside of the box. So it has probably a sticker. I don't know. I doubt that's hand painted, but it's got this whole, um, thing in there and it's pretty intense, a little hell situation there. And in the video where he's giving Satan a lap dance, like pretty aggressive. Actually, uh, I had Kelly watch it after I had watched it and her face (laughs) super intense. He also ends up breaking the devil's neck and then putting, taking his horns and putting them on, uh, apparently taking the reins from uh from satan but we have a clip from it here with the just him licking satan's face this is a whole thing it's a whole thing but then these these conservatives who loved old town road right they loved old town road and billy ray cyrus is in it this whole thing and their kids sing it was about like drinking lean and getting laid so like that's on them you know what i mean like know what the song means and kids can sing it and they don't know what the hell it means so it's fine it's whatever but this song is actually really pretty impressive and the funny thing is just like cardi b's wap 
I would have never known about this song or not even been on my radar at all if that person hadn't trolled conservatives to make sure that I knew exactly what the song was. And so if you're out there and you have a business and it's kind of controversial, the best thing you can do for business is troll conservatives because they will cry about it and not shut the fuck up. Do I want these shoes? No. (laughs) Do I think this is appropriate for kids? No. I also don't think that the Old Testament is appropriate for children, but that doesn't stop Christians from talking about fucking fire tornadoes because some town was trading with the wrong type of people or making clothes out of two different kinds of fabric. Okay? Like, this music video isn't any more graphic than the Old Testament. And, you know, maybe he has a different interpretation of what the Bible means. Uh, not my place to say, don't care, personal freedom. Uh, this is just a weird thing, but I just also love when conservatives get upset and get trolled. I mean, let's just like put this with the Dr. Seuss thing, right? So the Dr. Seuss family, um, the people that are in charge of his estate choose to not continue the production of three of his lowest selling books and look at the sales spike that they had after the fact. They are just stacking cold, hard cash right now because they got rid of three books that weren't selling well, created a conservative outrage. And now boom, I bought like seven of their books the next day just for fun. Right, And that was happening all over the place. And then all of a sudden, the books that were discontinued were selling for thousands of dollars. <laughs> like they cre- they, by doing that, they created a whole new market for exclusive limited edition books that were discontinued, which is funny as hell. And it's just by controlling conservatives. So conservatives, if you think you're doing anything by crying about this, all you're doing is making sure that Lil Nas X gets paid. And the funny thing is, we look at it... Um, Old Town Road is a trash song. It's just bad. It's annoying. Every time it comes on, it annoys the shit out of me. This song's actually pretty good. And it's when everybody's upset about it. It's just a weird thing. It's a weird thing. But conservatives, you are single-handedly responsible for making sure that Lil Nas X makes as much money as humanly possible from his satanic lap dance. That is 100% on you. Congratulations. Now it's that time of the show. Or I give you something to think about. All right. Whew, it's been quite a show. So something came up on the Patreon episode the other day that I wanted to share here, maybe flush it out a little bit. And it had to do with someone disagreeing with someone else's family based on their political beliefs and having their own personal beliefs and those being in conflict. And it got me thinking quite a bit about how we handle um, conflict between people, with people we don't agree with or don't really see eye to eye with or maybe vehemently oppose, Right. And this is something that I actually did with my with my mom um, back in the day when I was really driven to like get her to see Christianity through my lens and get her to understand and believe what I believed and understood. But then one time I was on mushrooms and I was thinking about it as I, I was thinking about it a lot at the time because I was really driven to like prove my mom wrong is what was really going on. And I was realizing that. And then I thought about how would it benefit her life for her to believe what I believe? 
because it benefits my life for me to believe what I believe, and, I, and I've gone through that process. But how would it benefit her, and why was I so driven to do that? Right? So when I asked myself the question, how would it benefit her life, I realized that it wouldn't. Now, there were some ways that we could have a conversation about viewing it a little bit differently and, and some things that I had noticed and seen, and, and, and they were productive. But on the whole, she would have lost the community, uh, some structure as someone who, who had been an addict. Like it, a lot of that structure is very important. Um, it would put a spin into an existential crisis. Like why, what, that's something for me to do, and that's my own choice, but why would I project that on somebody else? And so when we think about politics and beliefs in general, they're very similar. So when you're thinking about disagreeing with somebody, or when you disagree with somebody and you're thinking about having that discussion, ask yourself, how would it benefit them to believe what I believe? And if you can't find an answer to that, then you have some work to do. And if you can find an answer, then focus on those areas. And maybe you're wrong. And you need to be open to being wrong about that being a benefit to them. Because we look at this gap that we have between rural areas and metropolitan areas, and, and, and it's causing more problems than it's solving. And everybody needs to look at it this way, in my opinion. And I think everybody would benefit from looking at it this way when we think about bridging a gap. How would the other person benefit from believing what you believe? And I'm not talking about necessarily facts and stats and the way they're used, but we're talking about beliefs, things that you have faith in. And to think that we don't align ourselves with political ideologies and, and social ideologies that we have faith in, and that's, a, that's kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of faith, doesn't necessarily have to be something religious. But try it out. See how it goes. I mean, it's something to think about. You guys are awesome. I love you. I'm glad to be here. Make sure to check out the Patreon community if you're into this show. Given how I went off, who knows, I could be kicked off Instagram soon. So you'll have to find me there. We got fun discussions all the time. It's just good people. It's a good community. Check it out. Keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time. Much love. Bye bye.